Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. Today we begin a novella that has been years in the making. Long-time listeners may recall an unusual PI story that debuted on the Free Reads podcast back in January of 2008. It was called "Men Are Trouble," and took place in a world where aliens, called devils, had disappeared. All the men. Down the mean streets of this strange world strode a damaged but wise-cracking Seamus by the name of Fay Hardaway. In fact, if you scroll down the list of podcasts, you'll discover that "Men Are Trouble" is still available for your listening pleasure. You may want to refresh your recollection because Fay is back in a story I call "The Last Judgment." In a world with no men, in a first-person story told from a woman's point of view, there didn't seem to be much call for my narration. So I asked Genevieve Achel, my good friend, and not coincidentally, the voice actor for "Men Are Trouble," to do the honors today. More on Fay and Genevieve in upcoming episodes, of which I imagine there will be four or maybe five. Until then. Faye's sidekick is chirping, which means she is about to get a new case. The Last Judgment, by James Patrick Kelly. One. I was pedaling toward lunch when my sidekick chirped. I pulled up and straddled the bike with one foot on the curb. There was no visual on the screen, but some granny with a raspy voice announced that she was Maud Descano and needed to see me right away. I probably shouldn't have laughed. The only Maud Descano I'd ever heard of was so connected downtown that the city mothers took turns mowing her lawn. I do my best for my clients, but I'm a realist. Why would the Maud Descano be calling a private detective when she had Deputy Chief Little singing harmony for her? It was a question worth asking, so I did. Whoever this granny was, she decided to get huffy. I don't discuss my affairs over the phone, she said. She would have to be a fossil if she remembered phones. Their time was over before the devils disappeared all the men. Fair enough, I said. I'm just on my way to lunch, so maybe we can get together this afternoon. Say two o'clock. Where can we meet? Make it now, or don't bother, Miss Hardaway. One twenty-two Fairview. My play then should have been to tell her to get cocked and cut the connection, except that Fairview ran through a neighborhood where even the sewers were lined with gold. Given her manners and that address, maybe she was the Maud Descano. If for no other reason than I might get to swipe an ashtray or spill something on her sofa, I decided not to bite back. Do you hear knocking on your front door? I said. That's me. Open up. One twenty-two Fairview was the kind of mock Tudor mansion that would have given Henry the Eighth nightmares. Its steep roof was covered in bright terracotta, and the walls were a hodgepodge of herringbone brickwork and stucco the color of smokers' teeth. Someone had painted the half timbers blue, probably a bot. I've never quite understood why bots love to paint things. They don't have the color sense that God gave to shrimp. The windows on the first floor had heavy iron casements and diamond-shaped leaded panes. Anyone looking out of them would see a world that was pinched and dark, an accurate view but depressing as hell. 
If it were my place, I would have busted a chair through those windows to let in some light. As I chained my bike to the wrought iron fence that surrounded the mansion and its vast lawn, a shadow blocked the sun. A flock of devils, a dozen, maybe twenty, headed downtown. We'd been seeing a lot of them lately. One of the local devils, Eller, had called a meeting to discuss something called the Index of Human Dysfunction. As if they would know, the devils were what was wrong with us. A cobblestone drive wandered toward the portico of the Descano place, but was in no hurry to get there. Your average Jane walking that drive would have plenty of time to think about the quality she was visiting, maybe get watery knees at the prospect of meeting so much money. I spent the time deciding what a flock of devils should be called. A damnation of devils? A pollution? Too bad that crows already had locked up murder for their group identity. I passed beds of pastel impatience and a boxwood hedge, and then a stand of half a dozen peach trees, branches laden with ripe fruit that nobody seemed to want. There was already a scatter of drops in the grass, some rotting into gray-green fuzz. I stepped off the drive and smooshed one underfoot. It felt like the right thing to do. A bot opened one of the grated doors. Is this one making the acquaintance of Faye Hardaway? Not if I can help it. I don't chit-chat with strange bots. I'm here for Maud Descano. Please enter and become comfortable. He stepped aside and I brushed by him. The reception hall was opulent and knew it. The floors were polished green marble veined in white. The wainscoting looked to be mahogany, and the central staircase was wide enough for a Fourth of July parade. On one wall hung a rose-colored tapestry of a unicorn eyeballing some medieval Jane dressed in living-room curtains. On the other was an enormous mirror and a gilt frame. Next to it was a mahogany gun cabinet with a glass display. That stopped me. There had been a lot of gunplay immediately after the men disappeared. Suicides, riots, robbery— the crazy time. The city mothers had been melting them down into peace statues ever since. Even the cops didn't carry. I'd seen guns in museums, but didn't know much about them. Men's stuff. Cocked. I counted three rifles, or maybe they were shotguns, and maybe half a dozen handguns hanging barrel down off brass mounts. Are these legal? Collector's items are permitted in the absence of bullets, said the bot to my back. It is regrettable that Ms. Descano is making herself available to another person at present. She expresses the fullness of true apology and hopes you will take nutrition while you wait. Would that please Miss Hardaway? Oh, I get it. I put a snarl in my voice, although I knew it would bounce off the bot. Her time is precious and mine is cheap. Your discontent is not unexpected. May this one add personal regret to that of Miss Descano. You may wish to know that this one is her valet, called Kirby. Does valet outrank butler? There are a diversity of duties which must be often completed. I thought about leaving, but I'd come a long way. You said something about lunch? The bot mentioned a handful of cold dishes, a carrot and orange mousse, ostrich liver pâté, near-trout sushi rolls, and curried asparagus soup. They all sounded better than the twenty-nine-cent combo meal I'd been planning to grab at McDonald's. Or this one could drizzle hot salmon gel over a spinach salad, said the bot. Perhaps a veal chop? Can I eat off the good china? The spode or the wedgewood? Two. The bot left me in the library. Maybe the size of it was intended to intimidate, although I doubted the granny had actually read many of the obsolete books. The room smelled of furniture polish and elderly carpet and paper going foxy at the edges. It was hard to see much in the gray light that squeezed through the two leaded windows, but busy shelves marched out of sight up the walls, accessed by four rolling ladders. 
the weight of all those dead ideas might have crushed someone who cared about the world before the devils, but that someone wasn't me. There was one haven in the library from the collection, a walk-in fireplace that was practically a room in itself. It had dark wooden panels sculptured to look like bolts of cloth and benches at either end that faced each other, a dusty pile of birch logs perched on andirons in the firebox. I sat on one of the benches and waited. The bot had called the walk-in fireplace an ingle nook, and I rolled the word round in my mouth, getting the feel of it. Ingle nook. I decided I liked it, not that I'd have much use for it. The baby's bedroom in the apartment where Sharifa and I lived would have fit inside this particular ingle nook. The bot returned, wheeling a tray. On it was a bowl of fresh asparagus soup and a couple of sushi rolls. I made short work of them and sat back. I suppose I could have gotten up to inventory Descano's taste in literature, but that was what I was expected to do. So I lit a cigarette instead, thinking maybe that would make the ashtray I wanted to steal magically appear. When it didn't, I ashed onto the logs. Maud Descano came through the door just as I was flipping the cigarette butt into the fireplace. She was a frail old bird, round in the body but with stork legs and a long and saggy neck. The skin of her face had turned the corner on pale and was headed for blue. The mouth and chin had sunk over the years away from the prominent nose, and sharp brown eyes had retreated into mascara hollows. Her green kimono was decorated with golden phoenix birds, coils of purple cord, and bands of flowers. She closed the door and doddered toward the inglenook, maybe a step and a half ahead of the undertaker. "'Business not so good, Missy,' her voice was thin as lace. "'I just have to call and you come running.' I let that pass. The only sound in the room was the shuffling of her silk slippers. "'And then you let me keep you waiting,' she said at last. "'Made it easy for me to put you in your place.' "'I'll make a note of that.' I drew a check mark in the air. "'When this granny says hurry, come slow.' I laid my sidekick on the bench next to me, but didn't set it to record. I came because I wanted to see the arrogant old bitch who they all talk about downtown. But they've overestimated you, Maud. Making me snap over here and then keeping me waiting was a weak move, a cliché. You can probably read about it in half the books you've got stacked in this funeral parlor. You can't put me in any damn place because I don't give a shit about you. I ate soup and smoked a cigarette, and now we're talking. That's what's happened so far. Attitude. She settled on the bench beside me. Yeah, a bit frayed at the cuffs, but it still fits. I rested my hand on the sidekick. I'm going to record now if we're doing business. If not, thanks for lunch. Cigarettes? She nodded at me. I'll take one. I set the sidekick to record, crossed in front of the fireplace, and shook a cigarette from the pack. You know they sell these on every street corner. Kirby doesn't let me smoke. I lit it for her. You let your bots tell you what to do? Doctors tell me what to do. She inhaled and held it in. Her eyes got distant for a moment. Kirby knows who's in charge. She sighed and smoke curled from her nostrils. <laughs> You're killing yourself with these things, Missy. A lot of people kill themselves. It's the national pastime, or haven't you heard? I'm just on the installment plan. I dropped the pack in her lap. Keep it. I settled back onto my bench. She smoked. I watched her. Know anything about art? she said finally. Not much. We were studying it in the fifth grade when my school got burned down. She blew smoke at me. Bad luck to have to grow up back then. She leaned over and ground the cigarette butt against the hearth. Were you born before or after? After. She scuffed a sandal against the floor. So all you've ever known is craziness. Craziness? Grannies do love their cock nostalgia, 
It makes my skin crawl. I've heard that men were pretty much unhinged, Maud. Rape, war, genocide. There was that, she made a dismissive gesture. And they liked to be on top, not that they were any good at it. But we had 200,000 years to get used to living with men. Hard to get used to being by ourselves overnight, or in four decades. I hadn't biked across town for a history lesson, especially a chapter that the devils had written. I hated the devils. So what about art? Heard of a painter named Hieronymus Bosch? Sounds like a virus. I glanced down at my sidekick, which had already completed the search. The screen showed a sketch of an old man in a floppy hat. His skin was as wrinkled as bark. That really his name? She shook her head. Geronimus, or maybe Jerome. Brits mangled it into Hieronymus, which we're stuck with. Last name was Van Aken, but he signed his paintings Bosch after his hometown. Sertigenbosch. That's in Holland. He was born around 1450, died in 1518. Painted on wood. Lots of his best work is lost. Only 27 undisputed paintings and nine drawings. So he's rare and valuable. Priceless. That was one word I had never believed in. Everything has a price. The trick is getting to the negotiation. And he painted what? Some saints. Sinners, mostly. He was religious, saw damnation all around him. Demons and monsters and hellfire. They called him the Maker of Devils. I crunched that for a moment. Some people claim that our devils, the aliens who disappeared the men, must have scouted Earth before. They said that all those images of biblical devils were based on historical encounters with our all-too-real aliens. Maybe Bosch had just been painting what he'd seen. Sounds like a man for our times. So what about him? My late husband. Wait, I said. You were married? Just how old are you, Maud? Married and had a daughter the old-fashioned way. <laughs> she gave me a silent laugh that showed me more than I wanted to see of her gums. The old sperm and egg trick. What, does that shock you, Missy? I grimaced. Better you than me. My husband's name was Nicky. Maud Descano licked her lips. He liked to think of himself as an art collector. Whenever he came into money, he'd head off to one of those flossy auction houses like Sotheby's or Christie's to buy himself a present. A Diego Rivera and a Pakota helmet mask, and then a Richard Lethem. Some minor dollies. Roman coins. Three Ansel Adams prints of Yosemite. He bought that rider over there, except it turned out to be a forgery. She pointed at a tiny painting that was all dark smudges. Just five months before Nicky had the heart attack, he found a Bosch. It had been hacked off a lost painting on wood called The Last Judgment. Provenance is a little cloudy. Maybe it only came from Bosch's workshop. But Nicky liked to tell people it was the real deal. She paused. It's been stolen. Three. Last time I saw it was Tuesday. She heaved herself off the bench. Her slippers whispered across the library floor. She flicked a light switch, and an overhead spot lit an empty expanse of wall between bookshelves. Noticed this yesterday. I came up behind her. Two panhead screws stuck out from the wallboard about 15 centimeters apart. A thread of dust dangled from one of them. What kind of security do you have here? Just Kirby. I snorted. We lean too much on the damn bots. Sometimes I think this is their world now, and we're just renting. Doesn't pay to cut corners, Maud. Brown paint on the wall had faded. There was a dark, coffee-colored shadow, maybe 30 centimeters by 20, where the little painting had been. It must have been hanging a long time. Fifty-some years. I pointed at the bronze bracket the size of a cash card on the floor. That fell off of what? The Bosch was attached to the wall with rhyme and hangers screwed into the frame. It's called a keeper, 
hides the hangers and the screws and secures the mount. I'm guessing there would have been two of them. Where's the other? You're the detective. I let that pass. Could be fingerprints on it. Sure. She was frowning. But who cares? I know who stole it. Then call the cops, I said. You bought them. Might as well pull them out of the drawer. If it comes to that, I just might. She was pissing me off with her games. I waited for her to go on, but she gave me nothing. Maybe she was waiting for me to play twenty questions with her. Maybe she thought it would make her look smart. Excuse me, Maud, I said, but now that the mystery is solved, is there anything else I can do for you? Mow the laundry, wash the lawn, otherwise I should be going. Don't be ridiculous, she sniffed. As I said, I had a daughter. Her name was Renata. She died two years ago. Her face was stone. Killed herself, if you must know. Like you said, the national pastime. I didn't say I was sorry. I don't think she would have heard me. Her daughter's name is Anne. She'll have the bosh, or she'll know where it is. Your granddaughter stole it? You know this how? She was here Tuesday, the last time I saw the painting. She said she needed money. When I wouldn't give it to her, she got angry, called me names, and stormed out. What did she want the money for? She wouldn't say, but I think she wanted to use it to run away from me. The granny tugged at the belt of her kimono, which is why I didn't give it to her. She's a troubled girl, very much like her mother. How much was she asking for? Six thousand dollars. I could tell she wanted me to think about that, so I did. I considered what Six Large could buy. A house with a lawn. A college education. Or a dozen P.I.s like me. Has she asked for money before? Often. Have you given it to her? Sometimes, but never more than a couple of hundred. I pulled my sidekick out and took pictures of the library and the space where the painting had hung. I blew a quick seal onto the bracket and put it in my pocket. I examined the library door. It was paneled and heavy, made of a dark wood, mahogany by the look of it. The brass doorknob had a double-cylinder key lock. You needed the key not only to get in, but also to get out. If it had been locked, getting into the library would have been a problem for anyone but a pro. Somehow I didn't think Maud's granddaughter was in the business. I'll need a pics of the painting. See Kirby. And what does your bot have to say about all this? Nothing. He reports no knowledge of what happened here. Not much in the way of security, is he? I pulled a book off the shelf at random. Say, is there anything else here worth stealing? It was the great Gatsby, bound in leather. I might take a crack at you myself, Maud. Seems like easy enough work. I opened it to the title page. Copyright 2011. Before the Devils. So, she lets herself into your house and this room. She pries a painting on a chunk of wood from the wall, knocks some of the hardware off, and skips out again without either you or the bot hearing a damn thing. Saying it out loud didn't improve her story much. Do you know how much you're going to have to pay me to believe that? Two hundred now, she pointed a finger at me, and another two when you bring it to me. Her arm shook. I want that bosh, missy. It was triple my usual fee for what would be a straightforward extraction, if the case were as simple as she said. But it wasn't, and we both knew it. That was why the pay was so good. Why? Why? She looked puzzled, as if I'd asked her to explain air. What kind of question is that? Because it's mine. You like it? Your favorite thing in this antique store? She sniffed. Not particularly. She watched me judge her, but my good opinion wasn't part of our deal. There's a principle involved here, a principle of ownership. So when I get it for you, what happens to the granddaughter? I blew the dust off the great Gatsby and gave it to her. You throw her to the law? Absolutely not. Anne is all the family I have. She looked weary, as if she were feeling not only the weight of the book, but of her enormous library 
as if she were trying to bear up under the burden of the entire mansion and all the money that had built it. If you bring that painting back, it was never stolen. I don't know, Maud. I've never had much luck changing the past. She smiled at me, her teeth long and yellow and fierce against her thin gums. You'd be surprised at how easy it can be. This is Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening to the first part of The Last Judgment, which was the cover story of the March-April 2012 issue of Asimov's science fiction magazine. While I have your attention, may I take a moment to mention a couple of other ongoing Kelly projects. My friends at Audible.com, which several years ago let me create James Patrick Kelly's StoryPod, in which I read 52 of my stories, have recently done me the honor of publishing two of my novels, Look Into the Sun and Wildlife, on their downloadable audiobook store. I am not the narrator, but then, as you have just heard, it doesn't always have to be about me. Meanwhile, if you have a hankering to read my stuff to yourself, may I recommend my e-book, or hmm, maybe it's an e-zine, Anyway, it's a e-something, James Patrick Kelly's Strange Ways, available in the Kindle and BNN Nook online stores. Each edition of Strange Ways reprints two classic, classic? Kelly stories and an essay, along with an introduction and some other miscellaneous goodies. All of this for just 99 cents. Why, it's practically free. There have been five issues with Strange Ways number five hot off the presses as I record this. If you like what I'm doing here, one way to show your appreciation would be to snap up an issue or two. Meanwhile, don't forget to check back here next week to learn of Faye's new domestic arrangements and hear her begin to track down the missing Bosch painting on the free read.